You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to The Truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network with host Steve Burkholder. Interviews with the greatest houndsmen hunting the greatest hounds in coonhound history. We take you beyond the losses and the wins. Steve digs deep into the stories behind the scenes. Do you have what it takes to achieve greatness? It all starts with the truth. The truth is sponsored by Havoc Hunting Supply. When you are looking for high quality gear, go to the people that understand the demands you put on your gear. Havoc has a full line of top quality hunting gear that meets those demands. Rugged hunting vest for the big game houndsman to the sleek, High-speed low-drag vest for that late-round bound competition hunter. Havoc has what you need. The Havoc website features a complete line of hunting gear for the serious houndsman. And they feature that iconic Havoc logo. Go to HavocHuntingSupply.com and order your gear today. It's time to turn the hounds loose. It's time to wreak some havoc. So today, uh, our travels uh, take us up to north of the Indiana line into southern Michigan uh, to a first town called Coldwater, Michigan, just southeast of Coldwater, Michigan, uh, back a long dirt or gravel road along a creek. We're going to we'll find a home there, a, a beautiful home that has a few hounds uh, out back. And uh, really excited to be able to sit down uh, with this gentleman. I've known him for several years, have made several trips up there on different occasions and uh, to take a little hunt with him. And most of the time, when you pull into his driveway, you're going to find a little puppy running loose somewhere or a young dog uh, penned up or tied up out back. So, uh, Larry, I want to say welcome. Thank you, Steve. So, um, uh, Larry, I got to ask you, uh, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. And uh, before we get started, I would love for you to uh, share with the listeners a little bit of who you are and, you know, a little bit about your family 
and where you've called home uh, all these years? Well, to begin with, I was born and raised up here in Coldwater, Michigan. And uh, how I got started, unfortunately, with these blue ticks was when I was very, very young. And I used to go with my uncles. I had two of them. One had uh, blue ticks. The other one had anything that would run a coon. But they used to carry me on their shoulders. That's how young I was. I used to pretend I had barrels and boxes and chains. And I used to pretend when I was very little that I had all kinds of hunting dogs, coon dogs, fox dogs, rabbit dogs, bird dogs. But I never got one until I was about 14 years old. Yeah, I got my first blue tick when I was about 15. And she, it was a female, and I got her from a, a dog jockey. And uh, back in that time, this guy used to have a trailer uh, with dog boxes, and he'd go down to Kenton, Ohio, and he'd take 15, 20 dogs. And that was a big thing back in those days, and which I was just eating it up. But she wasn't the best. And then... I ended up getting a, a grade male blue tech. He had no mouth on him, but he would treat coon. And I ended up giving him to my two cousins, uh, maybe some, some of you can remember, Jack and Brian Wages. And I got them started coon hunting. And... Uh, then it just went from there, one to another one, and uh, right. until I got a little knowledge behind my belt, and I went through a lot of dogs, a lot of pups before a coon dog. Right. Before before and, we get into that, Larry, uh, I'd love to have you share with the viewers, for those that wasn't fortunate enough to go to Kenton Nationals, I was. I actually... Uh, I think I was 17 or 18 when I went to my first Kenton Nationals and went there two or three different times. That was quite the place, wasn't it? It was the place to be. And you could find anything. You could buy anything. You could trade anything. And it was just one big time. And I'll never forget, there was this little boy walking around there, uh, always with a different dog, coon dog. And he had just an old baling twine around the dog's collar. And he would say, anybody want a coon dog for $25? <laughs> that was the days. $25, and that boy, at the end of the day, I bet he'd went through, I, I bet he went through probably 12, 15 different dogs. And they had, they always had uh, ferrets down there. 
And a lot of people probably doesn't know this, but what they used ferrets for. My uncle had a ferret, and they use them to put in rabbit holes and scare the rabbit out, and they catch the rabbit. And anything to put meat on the table back in those days. Uh, but it was just a great time, and everything, just like everything else, it, it, it seems so simple. And uh, I bought a light down there. I forget the name of it, but it was uh, like an eight-cell flashlight. And uh, it was, you know, I remember getting my first night light, then wheat light, sunburst, and how they came up, of course, tracking system, there was none. There was nothing. And, and you know, Steve, while we we're talking here out of everything that they have technology probably the best thing is is the garment oh i would have to agree with you on that you know years ago and i'm sure you did the same thing uh, when you got done hunting if you couldn't if you couldn't find your dog or you know whatever may happen especially a young dog uh and you had to go to work or you had to get home or whatever, uh, there was nights that you'd just lay a coat out. And uh, usually the next day when you went back there, he'd be laying on the coat. You'd pick him up and go back home. I'm sure it was the same way for you. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's what my uncles had told me to do. And I remember not even using a compass. And But then... The compass, I had an old compass that I carried in my pocket for years and years and years. And that dog would always come back to your hunt coat. I'd peel off my hunt coat. That's what they did back then. And there wasn't, there wasn't no threat about having a dog stolen back in those days. People always would help you neighbors or whatever if they seen the dog but it's not like that anymore right now larry i've come up and i've i've had the privilege of hunting with you uh many different nights and occasions and when it comes to north country hunting uh you've got some of the best hunting up there uh and been and and had that uh for 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 people, you know, for especially for a young person, um, you, you've had some really good hunting for a lot of years. Uh, what advice could you give someone to, uh, you know, what what has allowed you to have uh, that kind of hunting for so many years? Because I, I know you don't own a lot of that. I mean, a lot of it is farmers and stuff. So what, what's a, what what would you say has allowed you to do that? Times are different, Steve. We all know this. And, you know, the people were closer. They, the neighbors, they would help one another. They'd have little get-togethers. And when it came time to go hunting, and one of the reasons why 
I mean, anywhere's that I looked at, and everybody's like this, I'm sure. Uh, you could hunt it. People really didn't care if you was to go on their property. But in res- for respect, I was always taught to ask, always ask them if it's okay. And that makes things even sweeter. Uh, and unfortunately, <clears throat> times has changed, and it's not like that any longer. But we do what we can do with it. And um, it's we have to be thankful for what the good Lord has given us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so let's let's uh, we'll pick up from. Um, so you ha- you had that blue tick, and you had you went through several, uh, like I'm, a lot of us did, in search of finding that uh, in search of finding that one uh, that you was looking for. Now, I would uh, I I I know you've hunted in the competition hunts for several years. Um, kind of share with us a little bit when you got your first uh, what you consider your really good dog. And then what put the bug into you that you would decide you wanted to go compete? I guess probably because of all the all of my friends, and I was pretty impressed with people, what I was hearing. And like I said, I was introduced to uh, Ed Mead in 1974. I was 21 years old. And more people back in those days uh, they all hunted in competition. And it wasn't anything to go on a weekend to a local club, and it would be between 60, 70, 80 people, depending on the hunt. But there was always, it was always a great time. And probably my first dog that I really started putting in the hunts was a dog that I called Trap and he was uh, his grandfather was uh, Wireman's Rice Creek Buck and uh, very nice dog now did you raise him from a puppy yes and you yeah. would have hunted with the buck dog right oh yeah so so very tell nice. me so tell me very nice dog yeah so tell me um <clears throat> I know, I know you got you. You obviously uh, live in hound country. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, with the likes in Michigan, Frank Giddings with the Walker breed. You know, Dave Dean with the Blue Tick right. breed, Ed Mead with the Blue Tick breed. And I know for me as a young man, when I first competed up there, uh, I hunted with some really, really nice dogs. Um, what was the buck dog like? And is that maybe the reason that you wanted to hunt trap? Definitely. Uh, I guess the dog, and, you know, to be honest with you, I've had so many of them, Steve. I've I've forgot, but there was a dog that I had before him that I used to competition hunt, and he, his granddaddy was uh, Hammer 2. And you he would have hunted with Hammer 2. Yes, he was off of Jack Ritz's ace dog. Yeah. Great ace 
was off a Hammer II and Heimhoff's Ripple. Uh, just great dogs. There was there was blue dogs all, all over the country, all over the country up here. Um, and then I went to the trap dog off of Wireman's Rice Creek Buck. And uh, the buck dog was a super, super nice dog. And I'll never forget down here at the lake, him and my Simon dog was running a track and he'd shut up. The buck dog shut up. And I asked Claude, we were sitting on the tailgate. I says, what's he doing? He says, he's looking at him. And about that time, that dog pulled up, located, and locked it down. And those dogs, his grandson, Buck's grandson, which I owned, the trapper dog, he would shut up on a trap just before he'd get treated. And I think, honestly, those dogs knew how close they were, and they were going to shut up and push that coon up or either catch him. Right. Now, um, so would you hunted with the original Hammer Dog then? No. Or Hammer 2 would have been your first one that you would recall? Yes. Yeah. So let me ask you this. I know we've had a few of the discussions and stuff. Did you have any of the, the, the hammer dogs? Because um, for, for, for viewers, I, I, would, I would say, being around you for a lot of years, I know starting young dogs has always been a huge passion of yours. Uh, is that still today? I mean, is that, I mean, that's still what you enjoy doing today? I enjoy doing that. I always have. And, you know... I mean, you go through a lot of pups, and and I didn't realize this back at the time. It's just like going back to setting a coon up on a 12-foot fence post and let dogs tree. What we have to do or should do, and I think a lot more young people know this now, is you look, you try to look, for natural ability. You shouldn't have to train. And don't get me wrong, you, training is a part of handling them, taking them out, and watching them. If you watch them as puppies, being puppies, you can learn so much. Natural ability. Even if it's a bug on the ground a butterfly flying around and lighting up on the side of the fence or a building. That is all good traits. And there's, I think we have improved in all breeds, all of us. And I think that we're more educated. If you, if you look at natural ability. It's going to make it more fun, and it's going to make it more easier. And, you know, there's there's people talks like there's been a lot of stuff taken out of these dogs. 
switch, yeah, but it's a whole completely different ball game. Competition, and God knows you're right into that, and you've done well. Uh, for instance, some older of people that hot, they want all the dogs still to pass. When one gets tree, they all end up tree on the same tree. It, it's not like that any longer. If you're going to competition hunt. And me, even when I go out, I'm only going to take one dog. Unless it's with a bunch of us, like when we all get together and have a good time. We each have a dog. But those dogs, most of the time, they're going to be by themselves, aren't they, Steve? <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, the ones that aren't, uh, we've talked about this before, you know, the ones that aren't, a lot of them are, are made that way, too, you know. Oh, yeah. So uh, so going back to, so you hunted, with how many of the, the we'll do a little on this. So you hunted with Hammer 2. I know you said you hunted with Hammer 3. Um just for the uh, viewers, what was probably your favorite hammer dog that you hunted with that you liked? Well, four got killed early when he was young. Uh, myself, I I liked Hammer Five. Now, and did you did you rate it? Did you raised one of them or started one of them? Is that right? Uh, I, I'd had a bunch of them, Steve, to tell you the truth, you know, right. But my favorite out of, out of, out of those dogs, hammer two was the dog. And if anybody knows the little village over here, Homer, Michigan, everybody, there was a blue tick tied up probably to 90% of the houses around there. And they were all off of. Hammer too. What what made him stand out? You know, back then, you know, of course you was young. What was it what was it that started that phenomenon with him? I think just because he was a the real deal. The real deal <clears throat> and then Terry Warson, there was a guy by Terry Warson, and I'm sure that you remember him, had a dog called Trapper, Warson's Trapper. Yeah. What was he like? And, and it, nice dog. Nice dog. And I, I didn't see this, but I'd always heard from the older guys that when Terry, Terry was from Homer over there, Terry had that dog in a pen with two females that was in heat. He gets up, and back then they just put him in the pen with one another and left him. The next morning, Trapper was out of the pen. And uh, a nice old friend of mine told me, one of them told me the story was Roger Heimhoff. And he was from over there. And he owned the Ripple female, which was a real classy, nice dog. The trapper was on the St. Joe River. The next morning, they heard him treeing. And so my point is, here's a dog that does his business with females 
and still in the same pen, but he still had the desire to go hunting and climb over the fence and get treat. Even with a female in heat next to him? In the same pen. In the same pen. Isn't that something? Yeah. Yeah. The desire. You know, that's the desire. But I, I think, you know, Dave, Dave made a big mark in the coonhound world. And there's always going to be people, you know, discredit or, or credit. That's just human. But overall, the man made the mark. And it's just like all of them, all, everyone. You know, they're all because they were so into it. They put, they put the work in. They put the work in. It's just like a carpenter. They had pride in their work. And when they left, it was done right. It's the same thing as these coon dogs. Absolutely. They took pride. They took pride. There was more pride back in those days. And I'm not saying we don't have that now, but they were more dead serious. And they sure wasn't making a lot of money off of it either. (laughs) Right, right, absolutely. So uh, uh, moving forward, so 1974, uh, you would have met Ed. And, uh, Mm -hmm. of course, for those viewers that don't know, he's the one that, started the jet line and uh the original jet what was what was he off of um larry i can't remember what the old jet dog was uh to tell you the truth um he was a fine hound everybody that was back in that time knew of the dog but that's what got ed started and Ed and Dave, you know, they were back and forth. And they all, uh, Claude Wireman that had the Rice Creek dog, he was right up there in the same neck of the woods as Ed. And uh, everybody had the same drive and same interest. And they knew what a coon dog was. They were all houndsmen. And that that means a lot. And everything, as we get older, we slow up. But out of the jet dogs, I loved Jet Four. I've never got to hunt uh, with him, but I've heard that a lot. What 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 made him so special, uh, Larry? Or what what was it that stood out with him to you? Jet Four, I had never seen dogs, pups, I should say pups, to split tree and hold pressure than what I seen out of that dog. That dog developed something that I had never seen. And I don't think a lot of people have seen that. And I can recall a friend down in Florida, Jimmy Yon, was up here, John Sturry, a dear friend of mine, 
and Ed and myself, we went over on this lake, and it's rough. We had four pups. Probably the oldest pup was probably seven months old. And they were out of three different females. We had three trees with four puppies. Two was together, the other two was split. And they all had coons. And they was how old? The oldest was seven months. That's pretty awesome. And that's when I, yeah, and, and, and you know, I mean, my my hat goes off to Ed, I mean, to see that. And uh, there was a lot of independence there, a lot of independence. Right. Now, you've hunted a lot of dogs from that line. I mean, that's what the majority of, of kind of what you've hunted for the, had hunted for the last several years. Is that right? Yeah. So... So going back to Trapper, uh, now you made him a, a a Grand Knight. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Would would he been your first Grand Knight, or would you had one before him? The first. Okay. So you yeah. have Trapper, and uh, uh, where do you? Uh, what happens from there? Uh, you know, Trapper was my first. I mean, this dog, he was one heck of a layup dog. And I'm not talking about one layup a night. I'm talking, I recall, it was eight trees that the coons were all balled up. And that's how he hunted. Ed always said he was kind of silent. But he was silent if Coon was a down on the ground. If they was on the ground, would he open good? Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Uh, but then, and like you mentioned, and, and you know, people that know me, they, I, they they know the deal. But yeah, I'd hunted uh, Ed and I. We had owned dogs over the years together, and and. I'd had jet dogs almost the whole time. And when I, and I don't know how to say this, but, and not to hurt anybody, but we, over the years, and you kind of mentioned about back when old Hammer 2, why would people had all of these dogs. And and Dave Dean was very active back then. As we get older, there's fewer things that we can do, unfortunately. But I couldn't find, and I, I know that people would throw stones at me, but I guess I was real particular, but you, like I mentioned earlier, you want to look at stuff natural, natural. And if it's natural, it's going to be easier for everybody. It's going to make it more fun. But when I seen 
big country. I'll never forget, and I've told the story to so many people. Well, uh, uh, hang on, just Larry. We'll get into that in just a second, um, okay. if you don't mind. So you go from Trapper, and then um, you had a dog called Sonny at one time too. Is that right? Sonny, Sonny, Sonny was Trap's daddy. Okay, Sonny would have been Trap's daddy. So he would have been kind of the one, and then Trapper come along, and then, uh-huh. um, then, then I know you've had some really good females over the years uh, hunting with them. What? what Share with us a little bit on on them and how you got them and and how that went. Well, I had different females. Uh, one was the old Bell female, Ed and I. We had owned her together, and she was off of Jet Four and Sioux Valley Fly, the old Fly female, the one that Larry Stark uh, would have had. Yes, man, yeah. I tell you what, that's a blast of the past, Larry. Uh, have you talked to Larry lately? I mean, is I haven't seen Larry probably in uh, probably about three years down at Automall. You know, sometime uh, if Larry would ever make a trip back up through there, I would love to get you and oh. Larry and John Steary and uh, sit down and and uh, I can guarantee you uh, we could share. They could share some stories. Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, John, John, and and Larry, of course, they were, you know, they owned uh, Sioux Valley Fly 3 in Pass, you know. Right. And and I'll never forget, I took John up to Mead, and uh, John picked her up as a puppy. And uh, we called her Debbie. And then Larry... And that female, I can still remember, Steve, when she was born, April 1st. That following October, I had my old Simon dog. And uh, John's brother was with us, Joe Sturry. And he had an English dog, was a nice hound, out of Larry Wilcox's bingo dog and that puppy was to the left the two older dogs they will run the track working the track and that puppy at six months old October 1st got treat she had two big coon up there and I've seen that dog when she was alive 20 degrees, and you wouldn't think that we shouldn't even have been out, but you wouldn't have thought that any dog could treat. But we all have memories like that. And that female, I always said, could make coon. And I'd seen her just come up 20 degrees out and have a coon. She was a very, very nice dog. You know, talking of that, Larry, um, and I want to touch this a little bit on that. I've hunted in the North all my life, and you often hear the, you know, the North dogs versus the South dogs, and, you know, where the coons aren't as plentiful down there, and, you know, their coon fall over each other up there. There's times of the year up there where it takes a pretty fair hound 
to look good when the conditions get tough. And uh, southern Michigan, uh, you can have a foot of snow on the ground and still tree raccoons. Oh, yeah. But it takes a good dog. I mean, it takes a it, – it's, it's not as easy – uh, up there, I would consider that probably, you know, there's times the conditions up there. Yeah, there is a lot of raccoons there, but uh, but there's nights that they're laid up and uh, it's it's still tough to it's still tough to go tree one, wouldn't you say? You know, with saying that, we have a friend, Renucci. Oh, my and, goodness. Yeah. I, uh, someday we'll get you and him on a podcast together. That'll be a hoot. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, that'll, that'll be a hurt, all right. <laughs> but, uh, he would come up here when he had John Gotti or Python. And we'd hunt. Coon's not moving. Now, we know, you and I, we know when we say Coon ain't moving. He used to call this Candyland because of all the coons. Well, what's happening out there? We're falling asleep. Can't get, can't tree a coon. And old Gotti or Python at the time would be out there. And from one section to the next. And he finally would get tree. And it'd be a den. And... He would come up. Mark would come up. Well, you must have something wrong. Rabies or distemper killing all your coon. <laughs> and then the next night, we'd go out. There's coon all over the place. I said, well, what happened to the distemper? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I can tell you, uh, there's nothing more frustrating when you, when you know that you have that they're there. And you're hunting, oh, yeah. and you struggle to treat. You know, you struggle to treat two of them, and you know that they're there. It's just sometimes they're not moving. They're not out. The conditions are just not right for it. Oh yeah, yeah. And and coon, I seen this morning when I was out. It was eight thirty. Across the field, it was a bean field. The beans are probably maybe six inches, five, six inches tall. You know what was out there going towards the woods was a big raccoon. That's nothing. We we know this. Right. I mean, we, and, and, and what I've been hearing is lately here, coons moving early for the last good three weeks. You know, and we get out right at dark, and we're striking old tracks. But anyways, we have a lot of coon around us, you know, the Indiana area where you live, Steve, Angola, uh, LaGrange, Indiana, Ohio, up here in Michigan, we got buku coon. But it doesn't mean that they're going to run every night. And right. Why? Here's, here's a question. Why is it? You, we've all been off, and Coon's running good. 11 o'clock, it's just like somebody turned this switch off. I'm telling you, you it's crazy. You buy a Coon. Yeah. 
So none of us, we can talk and everything else. And, you know, I've done this for 54 years. I still don't understand it. Why? Right. Well, it's just, it's part of game. It's what makes it fun, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So so you have the bell female, and uh, and then I believe, uh, uh, I remember... Me personally, the very first dog that I think I remember hunting with you, it may have been her, but I know you had a female behind her. Uh, what, did you have a female between her and Brandy? Or would Brandy been your next one? Oh, boy. I had... Uh, I've, Steve, I, you know, I've had so many. I had one off of uh, Pison, and then I had Brandy. Brandy was off of Six. Jet sex. Um, I had a little female queen that I got from Richie there, Klein, and she went back. She was off of Steve Gullett's male dog. Right. And, uh, boy, yeah. You, I've got, uh, I've got a lot of dogs. Just to, I know you started. Uh, a lot of young dogs that you ended up um, ended up selling them. It seemed like when you got one that was uh, a pretty decent, uh, uh, when they started treeing consistently and doing a job, you was looking for something young. Why don't you share with them? I mean, what's some of the ones that maybe that you had started, and then maybe you know sold or moved on? Uh, I know that um, I believe that you had told me that you had hunted, uh, maybe had hunted, started bingo. Is that correct? John Sterry, there was two males in that litter. There was the bingo dog that my son, as a child, named him. And I sold him to John Sterry. And I kept the other one. They were both, John and I, would take those two brother litter mates out just before dark. You could cut them loose, and they would have been maybe three, four months. And that's, it's no joke. And they would go their separate way, and they would get struck. And they would get free. That's what natural is all about right there. Right. To do this and want to do it, Steve. And it, it was just great memories. I love messing with pups as long as you can see that they're progressing. And I'm not saying just because they don't start early. I've kind of got off of that than what, how I used to be. But if it's there, you can see it when right. they're little. Right. And, and and don't push them in. I'm not saying just because they don't start until they're eight, nine months old. Uh, that's not going to have any effect on their ability or capability of being a great hound. Absolutely. You know, over the years, I've had uh, some of them start early. 
and uh, never really progressed. You know, maybe at 13, 14 months old, uh, that was as good as it ever got. And I've had other ones that have started a little bit later, and it just seemed like with time they just got better and better. Um, but I do, I, I tell you, I am a firm belief, same thing as, you know, natural. I, I've always felt that natural ability reproduces natural ability. Exactly. Exactly. So, so uh, going forward, uh, what what have you got currently uh, that you're hunting? And, uh, you know, how did you come about? How did that come about? Okay. I have my champ dog. And I own half, which you know her, Queen. And Derek Bryan owns half of her down in Portland, Indiana. And those dogs are off of big country. You know that. Yeah, and what was the mother to them? The mother was my old honey female. She was off of Jeff Thames' female, Lucy. Lucy was off a hillbilly and tree slamming lady. Yep. Okay. And and then her daddy, uh, Honey's daddy, was tree uh, all trained boomer, which Chris Poole down in Georgia owned, and I'd made that cross. So this is how I can remember what he was, how he was bred. He was off of Dancer Taylor's Dancer dog. And my old Brandy. Brandy was off of Jet 6 and Apple's Jill female. Joel, Jill, uh, Jill was, Jill would have been the same cross. She'd have been a sister, but out of a different cross, the same as uh, Sioux Valley Fly 2. Okay. Yeah, and the, and the Jill female would have been owned by uh, uh, Joel or Jake. Both of them. Yeah, Joel and Jake but Apple Ed, from Wisconsin. Yeah. Yes, yes, and at the time Ed owned her. Okay, but absolutely. Ed yep. sold her. Ed sold her to those boys. So the honey and female then, would have had a lot of your breeding, and or would you would have hunted with most of them dogs in behind her? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I liked old Hillbilly. Uh, and that cross, I think they made that cross with uh, Hillbilly and Tree Slamming Lady like four or five times. And actually, I had had, I think, two of those females at one time. But I'd seen several uh, that was ended up nice dog. Right. Some of them was some of them could could be tight, but overall, you know, natural ability. Here I go back, and not to sound like a broken record, but that's what everybody should look for. Right. So you bred her to big country, and. Yes. Uh, uh, what 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 was what made you decide that that's what you wanted to do? Because I you know because you've line bred most of your li- all your life, so this would have been a total outcross. Is that right? Yes, I have. I've and and you know, you know all of this. And when you when I seen that dog up there at Bellevue, Michigan, 
I thought, wow, what a dog. That dog looks like a dog, like a dog should be. Put up, tight hair. That's the style of dog I like. So, as you know, when my old honey female came in, we bred him. But, you know, there was people that would always ask me when, after we bred, what kind of dog? What kind? Did he do this? Did he do this? And I don't mean this mean, but I ended up saying he's a kundo. Because they would ask me, was he tight? Uh, could he cover ground? Was he fast on track? I'd seen the dog take tracks. When you had him, Steve, from strike to tree, a distance, and opening all the way, I'd seen the dog just fall tree. I'd seen the dog open up here, open up there, and tree. And I would tell him, the thing of it is, at the end of the track, up in the tree, the dog would have a coon. Only right. one time I seen that dog out of 22 times that I'd hunted with that dog. And I wanted to take a picture of him. And he was blank. And he'd left one section, went into another section, and that was the only time I'd seen that dog come up short. And you knew it as we were going. Yeah, I remember that night. You wanted to snap a picture of that tree, and I told you I was going to break your phone if you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, I tell you, Larry, uh, over the years, I, I really have uh, enjoyed uh, coming up there. And I, I know, uh, uh, you know, we could spend hours uh and so, and oh, we will yeah. we'll have a we'll have another uh, a podcast that we'll do on some of the hunts and stuff but very memorable hunts but so you have you have two you had you had two uh pups you kept out of that cross one you called champ one you called queen and uh, uh tell us uh tell tell us a little bit about champ because i know you currently have him and kind of are hunting him uh that kind of yeah. thing well you know how i am always said you know it is just luck. You got to have a little luck along the way. And I'm no big breeder, or I don't say a whole lot about the dog. But we recently, back in March, we bred him to a friend's female, Scott Phillip. Uh, his female is off of. Uh, Scott's probably going to kill me for saying anything about this, but she's off a jet tent. And uh, it goes back to Jerry Tucker's boomer dog. And those puppies are unbelievable. Now, how old would they be? So it's bred in March, so April, May. Uh -huh. or, so they're, they was born in March or... Yeah, they'll be four months old. Yeah, they were born March 8th. So they'll be four here a few days. Right. And Ed 
went over to Scott's house and picked four up, I think, three. Scott doesn't want to let them go. I got two of them here. Right. That I'm going to keep. And uh, Ed, he got a hold of me the next night. And I had one that was supposed to be leaving. And Ed wanted to come down and get him. And Ed had complimented on his pups very, very high. How good. And I think Chad uh, Trumbull had made a short video of those puppies. And they're, they're nice pups. And I haven't done nothing with mine, but I don't know. They're out there. I take them for walks, and they're all over the place. Right. I had one that about three weeks ago, he was working a deer track across the cornfield. You see, that's why I say if you watch them, if you watch puppies, take your time with them, let them be puppies. There's pieces that you that are falling off of them that's going to show you what they're going to be. Right. And these uh, pups, these pups are going to make, they're going to make some dogs. So, so that's your next. That's uh, that's your next project. Yes, and we 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 bred Queenie to. Uh, uh, the cash dog down in Kentucky of Rockies. And they're, they just turned seven months old. I have a male, and I haven't done anything with him. And so we'll see. You know, we'll right. see. Time will tell. Time will tell. Right. Well, you know what, Larry? Uh, it was, it's been really, really interesting uh, having you share with the folks. You know, I, I I asked you earlier, we wasn't on recording or whatever, but, um, you know, being a houndsman for well over 50-plus years, what what is it about that that has kept you, you know, is it the intriguing of, of seeing that young dog start? Is it just the fact of it's a, it's a passion, it's in your blood? What, what has kept you for being a houndsman uh, for all these years? What, what, you know, obviously... Uh, you know, from you sharing with us, it's not the competitive side, uh, you know, because I believe that you would hunt regardless of the competition hunts was going on or not. Uh, what what is it what is it about a houndsman that's kept you doing it for so many years? Just the love. Just the love for it. And it's either in your veins or it's not. And I've went just like all of us, we've went through hard times, but we always keep this in our veins. And I've seen a lot of people over the years, they come in and they go out. And I've thought from time to time <clears throat> that about just, you know, giving it up because the changes, but 
I can't. I don't know what I would do. And I'm going to do it as long as the good Lord allows me and to do it. And I love, I guess, the, the big thrill of it is to see a, a pup progress. And if, if we all remember having those good nights of hunting when we were kids. And you go back home and you can't hardly go to sleep. You still have those nights after all of those years. And that's what keeps you going. Absolutely. You know, that that part of it, um, and you know, Larry, it, it puts people, it, you meet so many good people over the years through this through through this oh, sport. Yeah. There's been dogs that I've sold um, and I've regretted selling them. <clears throat> but you know what I've gained out of it? Something that's priceless. And that is dear, dear friends. And I have a friend, Sparky, that comes to my first thought. I sold him a female, and I wish I had no. Right. But I think we've all done that before time we've, or two. We've all done that. But what a friendship that I gained out of it. Right. Absolutely. That, that's, that's the important thing. And, you know, we've seen good times of hunting uh, where we could, like we mentioned earlier, where it was almost anywhere you wanted to hunt. Yeah. And and it's not like that now. But you know what? I appreciate that time that I had that was like that so much. And I will never forget it. Right. You know? Right. And it's just like what we're doing now. We're talking. We're talking about all of this stuff. So we, you know, that's the whole thing right there to be able to talk about it. Memories. And memories. Yeah. What about uh, Larry? Uh, before we close here, uh, any advice to a, a younger person uh, coming into, uh, you know maybe the sport or, you know, being a houndsman, uh, what is some advice you give a young person? Uh, uh, what would, what advice would you give a young person? Boy, <clears throat> you know, we've, uh, the, the, if any older person has, has the opportunity, I'm going to call it of a young boy or girl wanting to get into the coon hunting just treat them right and be I'd rather I'd rather give a younger person a very nice dog something that you can afford to give them a break on because that's what keeps us keeps the sport and that's gonna it's gonna get tougher I think uh, to keep them in to this sport and 
I hope that people that hears this can think about it. It's not just making a buck. It's about passing this trait on down. Passing on the tradition. Yes. Yes. Well, I think we can both attest to it's kept us out of a lot of trouble over the years. Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. Most definitely. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, these youth hunts, I, I think those are great. That those, those youth hunts are great. This is what keeps it going, hopefully. Well, you know, I know what it was like for me uh, when I won that first trophy. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't even remember. Um, it may have been seventh or eighth or whatever it was. But I can honestly tell you uh, it was almost like a world hunt for me. Sure. And... Uh, so absolutely. So And you and you still remember that today. Today, yeah. It was Just out of the it up. was actually out of the old Marcellus Michigan Club is where it was yeah. at. Yeah. And man, that was a that, that's a that's another whole topic. We'll get into some of that uh uh, oh, yeah. at another time but hey larry i want to just say hey thank you so much for coming on and sharing love to do this again sometime with you uh and talk about some of the the hunting clubs you know that the area that uh that you're in up there is just so rich with history with a lot of of, of hunting clubs and and uh you know i'd uh, love to uh do a conversation on some of that as well but i want to say thank you so much and uh for uh, coming on and sharing a little bit about you and, and what it is to be a houndsman. Uh, I've always enjoyed uh, my travels up there and getting the opportunity to uh, hunt with you. And uh, obviously I'm in Florida now, uh, but I do come up there about once a month. And uh, when I come up there, I would love to come up there and take another one of them hunts. And you know, Steve, first of all, I thank you. And you're completely welcome and you know, I'm just like I've always told you, you're always welcome up here. Absolutely, Larry. Well, with that, we're going to sign off. And I want to say thanks again. And uh, we're going to uh, say uh, uh, good night. So, okay. All right. Absolutely, Larry. Good talking to you. Okay. Nice you talking with you, Steve. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.